Welcome to our Savior's Church this morning. I'm glad you're with us today. Uh, I want to quickly get into the message. I got a lot to get through. Um, this is going to be a little bit different today. Uh, typically, I give you a couple of points and some scriptures and a few things like that. Most of the time when I prepare a message, uh, God will usually impress something on my heart or there'll be something that's just kind of been something I've been dealing with in the church and it's something that just kind of comes from my heart. And then every once in a while, God gives me a message that he wants me to deliver for him directly. And today is one of those days. Um, it's it's, it's going to be a tough message to hang on to. But I want to encourage you, stay with it till the end. You're going to see what God's going to do. Amen? But God wants to say something to us today. To this church in Eunice, Louisiana, He's got a message for us today, and I want you to hear it, and I want you to hear it. I'm scared. I, I was scared to share this. I'll be honest with you. I called John to pray with me, and, and John said, you know, they killed that guy that preached that message in the Old Testament. I said, thanks for the encouragement, John. <laughs> I quit. <laughs> I'm done. I'm out. I tap. <laughs> I'm done. Go with me to Jeremiah chapter 7. The title of this message is, Don't You See What They're Doing? Jeremiah chapter 7, I'm going to read a lot of scripture to you today. Starting in verse 16, listen, I want you to hear, I want you to see God's emotion. I want you to see how God feels in this moment with these people. Verse 16, pray, he's talking to Jeremiah, he says, pray no more for these people, Jeremiah. Do not weep or pray for them, and do not beg me to help them, for I will not listen to you. Don't you see what they are doing throughout the towns of Judea and in the streets of Jerusalem? No wonder I am so angry. Watch how their children gather wood and the fathers build sacrificial fires. See how the women knead dough and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. And they pour out liquid offerings to their other gods, their other idol gods. Am I the one they are hurting, asked the Lord. Most of all, they hurt themselves to their own shame. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. I will pour out my, my terrible fury on this place. Its people, animals, trees, and crops will be consumed by unquenchable fire of my anger. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel says, take your burnt offerings and your other sacrifices and eat them yourselves. When I led you out of, when I led your ancestors out of, out of Egypt, it was not burnt offerings and sacrifices I wanted from them. This is what I told them. Obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Do everything I say and all will be well but my people would not listen to me. They kept doing whatever they wanted, following the stubborn desires of their evil hearts. They went backward instead of forward. From the day your ancestors left Egypt until now, I have continued to send my servants, the prophets, day in and day out, but my people have not listened to me or even tried to hear. They have been stubborn and sinful, even worse than their ancestors. How many of you glad you came to church today? Yeah. 
the story picks up in a place where God has come to full anger. As Christians, we live under the grace of Christ. We live under God's good grace, and we better be grateful for that. Because never would you want to experience the anger and wrath of God. God finds, we find God in this moment where he is tired of his people's rebellion. He's tired of them doing their own thing. He's tired of them not listening to him. All he has is good for them, but they won't listen and they won't follow. They just want to do what they want to do. And he's had enough. Uh, In my preparations for this message, I said, Lord, what do you want me to speak? Typically, he'll give me a verse. He gave me Jeremiah 7, 17. So typically what I do is I grab my Bible, I open up to Jeremiah 7, 17, and I, I read it, and then I begin to study everything around it to get the full message of what God wants me to have. That's how God speaks to me most of the time. Most of the time, God speaks to me through his word. Sometimes I hear his voice, but most of the time it's through his word. And so we, we, I, he gives me Jeremiah 7, 17, and this was the message he gave me. Don't you see what they are doing throughout the towns of Judea and in the streets of Jerusalem? This was on Thursday, the day after they stormed the Capitol, the day after things started to go haywire. But it wasn't something new that we've seen on Wednesday, was it? This is something we've been seeing for years, actually, but really this past year. We've seen rage. We've seen violence. We've seen anger. We've seen hate. And all kinds of other things. And so God tells me, don't you see what they're doing throughout the towns and in the streets? And I was like, I'm sorry I asked. God is angry. He's angry at their idolatry. He's angry at their disobedience. He's angry and he's tired of them. He doesn't want anything to do with them anymore. If he says, don't even ask me to help them, you're in a bad spot. Today, I feel like God's talking to three groups of people. He's talking to the lost as always. He's talking to believers that have fallen away. We've just fallen away. Either we, either we started chasing things we weren't supposed to chase or doing things we weren't supposed to do, but we fell away. And then I believe the third group he's talking to is believers who have tolerated too much. We've allowed too many things to come into our homes and our families and our lives, and we've just tolerated it. And we've accepted it as the norm. It's idolatry. Politics this season has become the new American idol, but I'm not here to talk only about politics today. I'm here to talk about any idol that you would worship, and let me bring some definition to that. Idolatry is the worship of an image or person in place of God. In other words, you take God out of the equation and you put something else in his place and that thing or that person now gets all of your affection, it gets all of your energy, it gets all of your compassion, it gets all of your passion, it gets all of your emotions. It took the place of God. There's more. 
the worship of something or someone other than God as if it were God. I believe today we have put too much trust and dependence in government, presidents, money, image, sex, pharmaceutical drugs, and so on. Do you know how many people are refusing to live until they get a pharmaceutical drug stuck in their arm? They have stopped living until they get a drug that gives them permission to live when Jesus gave us permission to live a long time ago? What kind of shape are we in? God is saying to us today, don't you see what we're doing? Not living. Downcast and distraught because we didn't get the president we wanted. Look at America today. The North, super excited. The South, depressed. Flip the script. If Trump wins, the South is excited. The North is depressed. My God. Are you serious? Idolatry. All of my hope is in who's president. My emotions are determined by who's in office or by whether I get what I want. God's clearly had enough of this people's rebellion. And he loves us enough right here in this little church in Eunice to say something about it. The question is, do we love him enough to do something about it? Because the real issue lies in the heart of a man or mankind. It's a heart issue. Good news, God's really good at changing hearts, right? He's been changing hearts since day one. God's really good at changing hearts. But let me tell you how God changes hearts in most cases. He uses other men and women to change people's hearts. But they can't change somebody else's heart if their heart ain't right either. You can't worship an idol and serve God at the same time. There's another portion of the scripture in verse 18. I want you to see this. God was really strong about this. It says, no wonder I am so angry. Watch this one. He says, watch how the children gather wood and the fathers build sacrificial fires and see how the women knead dough into, and make cakes to offer to the queen of heaven. He says, to watch, to see how the kids are getting involved in idolatry. And God is upset about that, which poses the question, why? Well, in this particular story, the queen of heaven is the goddess, the goddess Easter. Almost sounds like Easter, but not to be confused with Easter. It's the god Easter. She's the goddess of love, the goddess of fertility, the goddess of sex, and the goddess of war. Do you think it might be time for her to die? Because it sounds like she's still here today. So God does not like the fact that kids are gathering wood 
and the fathers are building sacrificial fires and the women are kneading dough and making cakes to offer to this queen of heaven that hopefully they can get from her what they can only really get from God. And what God called the man to crucify in his lifetime to pass on a generational blessing has now become something he's compromised and the kids are getting involved. And there's too much tolerance. There's not enough watching. And we've fallen asleep on the job. Today, we hand kids a little device and we say in the, in the, the stretching or the, the, the goal of getting some peaceful time in my life, we say, here, would you go sit in the corner with this and let this parent you for a little while until I can get my stuff together and then I'll, I'll try to be a mama or a daddy later. And we hand them the world in a device that they're not nearly mature enough to handle on their own. And then they get exposed to things. Do you not think the enemy is in here? Do you not think he has an agenda for your children? You better lock the door. You better kick some things out. And you better stop tolerating what you've been tolerating. Because this is what God told me. He said, what you compromise, as a parent, he told me, he said, what you compromise... What you and Cheryl compromise, your kids grab a hold of, and that's their new doctrine, and that's what they live by now. So the question always was, as we were raising kids, are we compromising? Are we lowering a standard? Have we allowed the kids to gather the wood for this idol? Or are we going to stand and raise up a new standard and kill the things that God's called us to kill? and not tolerate them anymore. God was upset because instead of it being a one-generational problem, it's become a multi-generational problem. And what he intended to be killed in this generation was allowed to live. And now he'll deal with it again in the next generation. That's happened since, since Adam and Eve fell in the garden. And it still happens today. And he's had enough. He's given us everything that we need to live victoriously, yet we choose not to. Just because you feel the need to worship idols doesn't mean your kids need to. Wise is the man who can say no to his flesh in consideration of his children. Wise is the man who can die to self so that his kids can live. God's upset. God's had enough. And I want you to hear this as a warning this morning. He's given us a chance. This is called correction. Correction is called what? Love. So let's flip to the New Testament. Go with me to Romans chapter 8. I want to show you how this works in us. I want to show you 
how this, this battle between idolatry and, and all these other things and then what we want to do, we want to follow the spirit, but we keep doing it. Anybody know the battle I'm talking about? Like there's a battle raging inside of you. I don't know if you were aware of that, but there's a battle raging inside of you that requires you to make the right decision. Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it says, So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I'm sure glad that's the first verse. <laughs> Can I just tell you? Because when you get out of Jeremiah, you're kind of like, oh, my God. But listen to me. Don't confuse conviction with condemnation. We all need some good, holy conviction in our lives. In fact, we should position ourselves to invite conviction in. That's what King David did. That's why he was a man after God's own heart. Is because he would constantly expose his life to God and say, Lord, search me. Know me. Show me anything that displeases you. As Christians, we should be really familiar with conviction. And we should be very cautious of condemnation. Amen? So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirements of the law would be fully satisfied for us, who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Are you starting to see the two? On the one hand, you have the sinful nature that lives inside of you, but on the other hand, you have the spirit of God that lives inside of you. And they're at war. And they're bidding for your obedience. They're both bidding for you to follow them. But you get to make a choice on who you follow. Why? Because Jesus, when he died on the cross and you accepted what he did, broke the power of sin or the power of that sinful nature. So now you don't have to anymore. Which means this, we should live with this attitude when temptation comes. We go, no thanks, I don't need to do that anymore. I don't have to do that. I have no obligation to you. I don't owe you anything. I'm free. I'm going to stay free. I'm going to choose to follow the Spirit. You see it? Lost my place. Verse 5. Right? Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. <laughs> Quick clue. If you're having sinful thoughts, you're being dominated by the sinful nature. Hello. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to what? Death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to what? Life and peace. That's more than death. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws, and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of the sinful nature, can never please God. But you are not controlled by your sinful nature. You are controlled by the Spirit if you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life. Because you have been made right with God. The spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. 
And just as God raised Christ from the dead, he will give life to your mortal bodies by the same spirit living within you. One more verse. This is the doozy. Verse 13. For if you, I'm sorry, verse 12. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. You have no obligation. You don't owe it anything. You don't have to. Look at your neighbor and say, you don't have to. You don't have to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. When my wife was pregnant for our first kid, she was in love with ice cream cones from Sonic. They were a dollar. I had no excuses. They're cheap, and they make her happy. But I got tired of going to the Sonic, because I would eat one too. <laughs> I took on her sinful nature. <laughs> so she would say, ooh, babe, babe, like, ooh, like a, mm, a Sonic cone, baby. Ooh. And if she would see I was like not with it, she would go, but it's only a dollar. I'd be like, mm. And I would say to her, girl, kill that sinful nature. Let the spirit live. In fact, most of the time, her sinful nature messed up mine. And we ended up with two ice cream cones for a dollar. Urges. You got any urges? You got some urges that run up on you like a thief? And they want you to do something to make yourself feel good? You don't have to do what they say. You can tell them, I don't owe you nothing. Watch this verse, verse 13. For if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. Let's break down that last sentence real quick because it's very important. Listen to what he says. He says, but if through the power of the Holy Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. He's going to bring the power. You got to bring the you. Come on. You can pray for something to die until you're blue in the face, but God wants your participation. He's bringing the power. Are you bringing you? Are you sitting back lethargically going, well, God hasn't delivered me from that yet. Really? Last time I checked, he gave you a sword of the spirit to apply to the sinful in your nature. Once again, this is why you should be familiar with your sword because when you know how to use a sword good, you put things to death quick and it don't take much energy and effort. And sometimes you don't even need some backup. Like, I just kill it myself. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, I am responsible for my sinful nature. Now watch this. As a Christian, you need to understand that from the day you gave your life to Jesus until the day he returns, you will consistently be in a battle of killing your sinful nature or letting it live and suffering with it. So it's going to happen daily, 
Sometimes multiple times during the day. I've, I've waken up in the mornings, got in the word, got in God's presence, prayed in tongues for 30 minutes, got up and said, Lord, you have your way with me today. I'm fired up and ready to go. And three hours later, I'm doing what my sinful nature wants to do. And I'm going, what the heck just happened? Well, if you rewind the tape, he gave me what I needed to crucify the sinful nature that day. But I tolerated it. I didn't deal with it. I didn't expose it to anybody else. It's mine. I don't want nobody to know I got a sinful nature. Hello, I just told everybody you got one. Now, instead of being prideful and trying to hide it, the Bible says if you'll confess your sin one to another, you can pray for one another and you'll be healed. Get you some of that, Satan. Right? So it's my responsibility to crucify the sinful nature in my life. But why? Why do we keep going back to it? Why is it, why, like, why does it keep coming at me? You ever ask that question? Like, why does this thing, and, and listen, until you crucify it, that same thing keeps coming around again and again and again and again and again and again and again. You crucify it, good news, there's another one coming. <laughs> Why does that happen? The best way I can explain it is because your sinful nature is still a part of you. It's kind of like this. I've watched shows where people have lost fingers or hands or arms or feet or legs, and they report still feeling those limbs. Like one guy I, listened, I watched, he said, I lost my foot, but my, my heel still itches. And I can't, I don't even have a heel to scratch. The best way I can explain it is that it's in there and you still feel it, but you don't have it anymore. It, or it doesn't have you anymore. It doesn't have power over you anymore. It's been broken. Its power's been broken, but it's still there, but it doesn't control you if you don't let it. Does that help? So we get to choose whether we follow our sinful nature or the Holy Spirit. It's up to us. So if you want to experience death, continue to follow your sinful nature. If you want to experience life, learn to follow the Holy Spirit. He leads us into life. Away from death. Make sense? All right, I'm going to spend the rest of the message. I want to show you how I believe today God's going to deal with us. And I want you to see how he deals with us today, how Jesus deals with us in the book of Revelations. <clears throat> in the book of Revelations, Jesus shows us through the example of many different churches how he deals with us. You ever wonder how Jesus deals with us or deals with you? You should be wondering that. That's a good question. Or you should know that he deals with us a certain way. So I want you to see the whole gamut of it. Jesus comes to these churches, and the first thing he says is what he likes about them. Well, that's pretty cool. That's encouraging. He starts by saying, I love this about you. And you're getting all warm and fuzzy like, he likes me. And then he comes in with said, but, but this thing I got against you. 
But he doesn't just leave you there. He goes, then he gives you some instructions. This is what I want you to do. And, and then here's the icing on the cake. I don't understand this. You don't have to do this. But he says, if you'll do what I say, I got some rewards for you. And I go, wow. Like, it's just, it's good enough if we just do what you say and, and live. But you're going to put some, come on, y'all know how we say, some lanyap. We serve a lanyap God. Come on, somebody. So watch how he deals with the churches. You might find these groups of people in here that I talked to you about in the beginning. And I hope that you find yourself in here and you get the instructions you need to change. First church he deals with is the church of Ephesus, chapter 2, starting in verse 2. He says, I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patient endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they are apostles but are not. You've discovered they are liars. You have patiently suffered for me without quitting. Boy, it feels good, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, thanks, God. It feels good. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Look how far you've fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. But this, this is in your favor. You hate the evil deeds of the Nicolaitans just as I do. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give fruit from the tree of life in the paradise of God. This should be something you, you become very familiar with. In your quiet times with God, you should be very familiar with him saying, I love you, I think you're great, I think you're awesome, you're the apple in my eye. You know what, there's a few things I want to correct. And we're not appalled, we're not offended, we're not, we're not quitting. Why? Because it's coming from a place of love. And he says, this, this, and this, I want you to remove that from your life. And we go, okay. I take that as good instruction and love, and I'm going to put this thing to death through the power of your Holy Spirit, but I'm going to do it. And then he says, I like that. Oh, I like that. I like it when you do what I say. I like it when you kill the things I tell you to kill. I like it when you listen. I like it so much I'm about to give you something. You want a present? Huh? I got something for you. Look at what he says. I will give you fruit from the what? The tree of life. That's one of the two most important trees in the garden. The tree of life. And then he says, in the paradise of God. Wow. So let's break it down real quick. What's the correction? You don't love me or others like you started out. He says, look, look at how far you've fallen. When's the last time you paid attention to yourself? When's the last time you paid attention to your spiritual condition? When's the last time you owned your current spiritual condition? He says to look, look at how far you've fallen. When, the only time you don't see how far you've fallen is when you're not looking. <laughs> right? Pay attention to yourself. Pay attention to your life. Pay attention to your home. Pay attention to your marriage. Look and see how far you've fallen. 
Here's the instructions. Turn back to me. Do the good, the good works you used to do. Repent. Then look what he says. If you don't, I will remove your lampstand from among the churches. You know what that means? That means you're not going to have much light anymore. That means you're going to fade away into the shadows. There's going to be no light in you if you don't repent. If you repent, the light gets bright. If you don't repent, he removes the lampstand. No light. What happens when there's no light? Things start to die. As a pastor for many years, I've watched people walk in disobedience and stubbornness and pride and idolatry, and God will send us to go and speak to them and to call them out of it in a very gentle way, and they'll reject it. And when they reject it, pulls the lampstand. And it breaks my heart because I've seen people over the years slip off into the darkness, slip off into the shade, no light in their life. Nothing's happening. Nothing's growing. You see them 10 years later, they're still dealing with the same problems. They've not grown at all. And it breaks my heart because they were one repentance away from everything changing. How quickly can we repent? As quickly as you change your mind. Right? It's not a 10-year program. It's not 12 steps to turn back to God. It's, it's change your mind. You can change your mind today. You can change your mind in your quiet time in the morning. You can change your mind when you're in the middle of the battle. You can change your mind anytime. Repentance is available to you all the time. Amen? Then he says, I'm going to give you a reward. <laughs> to everyone who's victorious, I will give you the fruit of the tree of life in the paradise of heaven. This means you're going to get some special intimacy with God. Come on, I like some intimacy with God, but I, I really want to find out what this special intimacy is like all about. Am I the only one? Like, what's this special intimacy? Like, I get to be special. I'm special. Everybody's been telling me I'm a cuyon. God says I'm special just because I changed my mind. And that's all going to happen in the paradise of heaven. Whew. One day this week, I was like, Lord, you got to come. I'm like, come on, man. Like, beam me up out of here. It's time to go. I want to float in the air. Right? Like, I want to look at y'all and go, see you, suckers. No, I'm too. I'm joking. The church of Thyatira, watch this. It says, but I have this. Make sure I hadn't skipped. Okay. Oh, I did skip. Okay. Pergamum. Pergamum, he says this. He says, I know you live in the city where Satan has his throne. <laughs> Doesn't that sound like New Orleans? <laughs> I know. <laughs> We've got churches in New Orleans. It's going to change. I know that you live in the city where Satan has his throne, yet you have remained loyal to me. You refuse to deny me even when Antipas, my faithful witness, was martyred among you there in Satan's city. 
He's talking about people that are just living up in some craziness. He says, but I have a few complaints against you. You tolerate. Look at your neighbor and say tolerate. You tolerate some among you whose teaching is like that of Balaam who showed Balak how to trip up the people of Israel. He taught them to sin by eating food offered to idols and by committing sexual sin. In a similar way, you have some Nicolaitans among you who follow the same teaching. Repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. To everyone who is victorious, I will give you some of the manna that has been hidden away in heaven. And I will give each one of you a white stone, and on the stone will be engraved a new name that no one understands except the one who receives it. Who is he talking to? Who is he upset with? What is, what's going on here? Let's look at what he says. Here's the correction. You tolerate false teachings. Let me name a couple false teachers for you today. Mainstream media. Boom, shalak, lock, boom, get you some of that. False teachers. Sometimes it's your kinfolk. You ever have some kinfolk that try to teach your kids some little dirty habits? Y'all laughing, but I'm very serious. We got in a big old family dispute one time because one of them kept cussing in front of the kids and we told them to stop cussing. And they got mad. He says, how long are you going to tolerate that? How long are you going to tolerate false teaching in your life? How long are you going to allow your kids to be led astray by false teaching? How long are you going to listen to things that don't give life? Look at what he says in verse 16. Just in case it might be your loved ones and you actually still care about them, or maybe it's somebody that you actually care about, look at what he says. He says, repent of your sin or I will come to you suddenly and fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Now, we were mad at some kin folks, but I didn't want God to deal with them because it's better for us to deal with them than for God to deal with them, right? So you know what we did because they refused to change and they wanted to continue to influence my family? We put the sword of the spirit to the relationship. That's over with. That's done. You're not going to influence my family. You're not going to teach them those things. You know what her response was when she taught my son a new curse word? Well, he's going to learn it one day. Not today, Satan. False teachers. False teachers can be who you listen to. Who's influencing you? Do you check who's teaching you? Do you check me? When's the last time you grabbed your Bible to see if Pastor Jamie's accurate? I invite you to do that. Because I don't follow just anybody. Why? Because some of them are false. And it may be so subtle you don't even realize it. 
But the whole time, you're, you're walking alongside, this is God's way, and you're not even realizing it, but little by little, you're drifting away because you're allowing some false teaching. You're tolerating some things in your family and in your mind and in your life that don't need to be there. And God's had enough of it. So he says, you tolerate false teaching. You trip people up with your idols. Remember, as parents and even as leaders, what we compromise to satisfy in the flesh, the people following us or our children, they take it on as truth. And they go, well, if you can compromise it, that means that I can have it. What did you do? You just went backwards. What did you do? You just led them astray. Well, I could drink me a beer, yeah. I ain't gonna lie to you. There's some days I just want me a beer. I'm not I'm talking about a big old cold one. You know what I'm saying? Anybody ever just have those days where you want a beer? Somebody like, yeah, I drink one. <laughs> I want a beer bad. There's some days I could smoke a joint. Cure there's some days I'm like, boy, I can light me one up today. Whew. Dealing with your people, God, I need some natural herb. You know why I don't? You want to know why I don't? You want to know why I put it to death and I refuse to resurrect it? It's because my wife comes from a family of alcoholics. And she was on her way to being an alcoholic when we met. And together we killed that devil. And he's not going to live again. But you want to hear some news? He's coming after my kids. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. He can't get me a Cheryl. He's going to come after your children. You better be watching. You better be paying attention. You better be prayed up. You better be asking God what he wants you to do. You better be following what he's saying to do. You better sit your tail down and get a little quiet time with him because he might tell you something that you can't see in your own natural eyes. He'll tell you what's going on behind closed doors. You'll get a check in your spirit and you go, oh no, Satan, I ain't happening. I got to address something in this family. Tripping people up. What's the instructions? Repent. Repent or I'm going to come fight against them for you. Here's the reward. I will give you manna that's been hidden in heaven. Cure. If I see my kids hiding some candy, I know it's the good stuff. Because <laughs> if it ain't the good stuff, it stays on the counter. Right? But when they hide it, I go find it. It's the goody goods, right? Because you don't hide just old Hershey kiss. Come on. You're going to hide something a little better. God, God's got some manna hidden away in heaven. And he's going to share it with us. He said, I'll give you some of the manna that has been hidden in heaven. You know what that represents? That represents supernatural sustenance. That means he's going to drop something on you you didn't even expect to come. Something you didn't even work for. That's going to be something that falls down from heaven, lands in your lap, and you're going to be like, what's this? And he's going to say, I love you. I'm going to share some of my manna with you. And then he says, I'm going to give each of you who's victorious a white stone. 
and, and, and engrave a new name in that white stone. I'm like, okay, God, that's cool, but I can get like a white stone in my driveway. Like, tell me about this white stone. The best research I could do that I could find is that the white stone is re representative of a trophy. It was, it was what the gladiator got when he won the gladiator wars. So if Spartacus won the gladiator wars, he would get this big old white stone and they would carve a name in that stone and that would be his trophy. And God is saying to us today that whoever is victorious, whoever repents and turns away from those things, I will give you a white stone and I will engrave a new name in there. You know what the new name represents? Your new character. You see, Cheryl's got a stone. She got a big old white stone. And on that stone's written, alcohol killer. I'm working on a stone, and they're going to put bluebell killer. <laughs> it's coming. I'm clowning, but you know what I'm saying. It talks about your name, that new name speaks of your, your new character. The church of Thyatira, I got a few more to go, then I'm going to give you one special one at the end. The church of Thyatira, he says this, but I have this complaint against you. You are permitting the woman, that Jezebel who calls herself a prophet, to lead my servants astray. She teaches them to commit sexual sin and to eat food offered to idols. I gave her time to repent, but she does not want to turn away from her immorality. Therefore, I will throw her, throw her on a bed of suffering, and those who commit adultery with her will suffer greatly unless they repent and turn away from her evil deeds. I will strike her children dead, then all the churches will know that I am the one who searches out the thoughts and intentions of every person, and I give to each person or each of you whatever you deserve. But I also have a message for the rest of you in Thyatira who have not followed this false teaching, deeper truths as they call them, depths of Satan actually, I will ask nothing more of you except that you hold tightly to what you have until I come. To them, or to all who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, to them I will give authority over all the nations. They will rule the nations with an iron rod and smash them like clay pots. Watch this. They will have the same authority I received from my father, and I will also give them the morning star. You can't handle this. Authority? The same authority that Jesus was given? What? Authority to call down nations? Like it's time to graduate from the imp demons and it's time to start calling down some nations. Right? So let's look at what he corrects. Because maybe you'll find yourself in here. You permitted Jezebel to leave to lead my servants astray. Who's Jezebel? Jezebel is anyone who refuses to repent. <laughs> you know what happens to people that refuse to repent? They start to live under this spirit called condemnation. And then and it's pride. And it's arrogance. And, and, and it's, it's demonic all the way through. It's a refusal to repent. And I can't be satisfied by not repenting myself or disobeying myself. So I'm going to call other people to come disobey with me. You see, the spirit of Jezebel needs to be killed. 
We've got some Jezebels in this church. People that would say, oh, you don't have to listen to all that. You don't need to sign up for a life group. You don't need to read your Bible. You don't need to pray that much, girl. It's okay. I'm doing just fine without it. You don't need to go to church every Sunday. That's religious. Aren't you glad you came today? You don't need to pray all the time. God knows what you need. Leading people astray. You know what happens to those people? God allows them to start suffering. And suffering. And everyone who listens to what they say and follows what they say, in other words, lays with them, suffers as well. So you need to check yourself. Number one, am I a Jezebel? Have I repented lately? If I'm not, am I hanging out with some Jezebels? People that would try to lead me astray. And if you are, you may need to take the sword of your spirit and cut off a relationship. Or you may need to cut off some sinful nature and get before God and repent. That can happen today. Jezebel can die today. She's not God. She can die today. Leading people astray. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I don't like to suffer if I don't have to. Let's look at the reward. Boy, I sure got quiet up in this church. Those who do not follow this false teaching, I will ask nothing more of you except to hold tightly to what you have until I come. That says a lot. That says that your victory must be a big deal. He's not going to ask you for anything else. But just to hold on to what you have. Then he says to all those who are victorious, who obey me to the very end, I will give them authority over all the nations. You're going to end up with the same authority that Jesus had. Wow. The church of Sardis. Write this letter to the angels of the church of Sardis. This is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do and that you have a reputation for being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what little remains, for even what is left is almost dead. I find, watch this, I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Oh, oh. I find that your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. If you don't wake up, I will come to you suddenly as unexpected as a thief. Yet there are some in the church in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. 
All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their names from the book of life, but I will announce before my father and his angels that they are mine. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Here's the correction. You're dead. You think you're alive, but you're dead. Your actions do not meet the requirements of my God. Here's the instruction. Wake up. Wake up or I'm going to come on you suddenly like a thief. Strengthen what remains. Go back to what you heard and believed at first. Hold to it firmly. Repent and turn to me again. You know God's okay with you turning back to him again. He has no issue with the again. You can go again and again and again and again and again. He's fully aware that you're going to fall again and again and again and again. But he's going to teach you how to live up. Come on. The more you turn to him again. Here's the rewards. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. They will walk with me in white for they are worthy. Let me tell you something. When God says you're worthy, buddy, you're worthy. I will never erase their names from the book of life. I love this last one. I will announce them to my father and to the angels that they are mine. (laughs) This is what I see. This might be a little twisted, but this is what I see. Like, like, like Mr. Charles is going to walk into heaven. He's going one day. He's going, okay. So one day Mr. Charles is going to pass away. Everybody get ready. Not anytime soon, Mr. Charles, you're good. But, but one day he's going to die. And he's going to enter into heaven. And Jesus is going to say, somebody's going to blow a horn. I think somebody's going to blow a horn. To get everybody's attention. And Jesus is going to stand up and say, hey, this is Charles. That's my boy. He's from my move. I just want y'all to know he's mine. He belongs to me. He's going to say, come on, Charles. I got some boudin over here. Isn't that cool? That God's going to call you out. He's going to announce you to the Father and the angels. It might be a little bit different than I explained it. I'm just trying to give you something. Just saying. Don't, 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 don't get disappointed when you get to heaven and there ain't no horn. Okay? Or Buddha, exactly. <laughs> Last one, I'm going to wrap it up. So I gave you three people groups in the beginning. The lost, believers who have fallen away, and believers who have tolerated. I believe we've addressed that in some detail. There's a fourth group that I want you to see. This is the people who have not fallen away, who have not tolerated. They've fallen, but they've not fallen away. They've tolerated some things, but they once again turned around and put death to it. Listen to the people he's talking about here. Those who have remained faithful. It's the church of Smyrna. He says, I know you're suffering and your poverty, but you are rich. I know the blasphemy of those opposing you. They say they are Jews, but they are not, because their synagogue belongs to Satan. Don't be afraid of what you are about to suffer. The devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer for 10 days. 
But if you remain faithful even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Whoever is victorious will not be harmed by the second death. Nothing to correct, just something to instruct. He says, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer. Let me make you very clear and aware of something. Anytime you choose to obey God, you eventually will suffer. If it wasn't so, further in, in, in Romans chapter 8, he would have never said that if you'll suffer with me, I'll also, if you'll share in my suffering, I'll also share in my glory. He would never say that if we were never supposed to suffer. He said, you're going to suffer. He said, you may be thrown into prison to test you. He said, you'll suffer for 10 days. If you remain faithful, even when facing death, here's the reward, I will give you the crown of life and you will not be harmed by the second death. Without trying to twist the scriptures at all, I wanna show you something that I saw in this verse and it just kind of took me back. So this is, this is me, okay? This, I'm not telling you that this is God. This is just what I saw. Verse 10, don't be afraid of what you're about to suffer the devil will throw some of you into prison to test you. You will suffer 10 days. But if you remain faithful, even when facing death, I will give you the crown of life. My wife and I recently had COVID. The quarantine period was 10 days. It felt like prison. Somebody messed up like me and my wife in the same house for 10 days. Don't ever get locked up with your wife. It's not good. We were faced with death. How many people today is he throwing into prison and they're afraid to die? Can I tell you there was a moment when I had COVID that the enemy tried to change my mind. He tried to convince me that it was really that bad. It was when my chest got real heavy. And I was, I was struggling to breathe a little bit. Not bad, not anything that would require any attention. I didn't even tell my wife. I just told her in front of all y'all. <laughs> so if I'm not here next Sunday, it wasn't COVID. <laughs> just saying, <laughs> don't you dare put that on my death certificate. God's had enough. And I'm very grateful for this message. I got to wrestle with it from Thursday. 
I called John. I said, John, I need you to walk with, it, walk with me through this. I said, I need you to check me out, make sure I'm not going off the rails. And pray for me, John. And then that's when he politely told me they killed Jeremiah. I look at everything around us, and can I tell you, as a pastor, my heart is stirred. I look at some of you, and I'm worried. I'm concerned. I'm praying for you. I want us as a church to please God, not to make him angry. I want us as a church to advance his kingdom and not move backwards. I want us to be people that don't tolerate the things that don't need to be tolerated. I want us to be people that know how to crucify the sinful nature and follow the spirit. I want God's favor, not his wrath. I want God's hand to be on me, not coming after me. I want that for us as a church. I want that for you as an individual. I want that for you and your families. Because God will turn this nation around and it can start right here in Eunice, Louisiana and the surrounding areas. I'm not going to leave y'all out. But it can start right here. But first it has to start in me. It has to start in me. So I want us to take a moment this morning and I want us to deal with this. We're in no hurry. We need to deal with it. So I want you to do something a little bit different today. If you can, I want you to get on your knees with me. If you can, just edge up to the edge of your seat. I want you to posture yourself before the living God today in a posture of repentance, in a posture of submittance to God. As I'm praying, I want you to make this very special between you and God, very personal. There's power in repentance. And repentance can change everything. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. And I want you to answer them honestly to yourself. What's keeping you? from repenting are you in denial that there's anything wrong are you too prideful to let anyone else see your sin are you above correction once again are you in denial 
Today we humble ourselves before you, God. It's a posture of humility. But I pray that it's a heart of humility. God, not a single one of us in this room is perfect. We've chased idols. We've tolerated things. At times we've led people astray. We've lost our first love for you and other people. What we think is alive in our lives has become dead. God, I ask you today to forgive us. Forgive us for being stubborn. Prideful. Selfish. Distracted. Forgive us today, God, for not listening not even wanting to hear for not coming to you on our own and saying, Lord, I know there's something wrong. Forgive us for not being like David where we would say, Lord, would you search me and know me and show me anything that displeases you. Forgive us, God. God, we want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. We want to see the lost get found and the dead rise. We want to see the captive set free. And God, we want to be used by you. So God, would you forgive us? And would you cleanse us of all unrighteousness? I pray that we change our mind. I pray that we change our direction. God, would you reignite the fire inside of us? Would you bring the flame, Lord? What's become dead and cold, would you stir it up again, God? Would you take your righteous finger and poke into the coals of our heart and cause it to flame up again? God, would you stir us up with a new passion, a new energy, a new faith, a new hope, a new, a new attitude, God, that we would walk in authority, yet humble. That, God, we would walk with a backbone. And when something's not right, when anything's not right, we'll stop and address it and deal with it and bring the sword to it if it requires it. I pray over these men today, Father. God, you've given us a mantle of leadership. As we go, the family goes. I pray, God, that you would stir us up to godliness. Stir us up to righteousness. 
give us a righteous backbone. We may have fallen, but God, show us how to get back up. Show us how to lead. Show us how to see what's going on around us. Give us the courage to to kill whatever needs to die and to breathe life onto whatever needs to live. God, I pray over these men that you would anoint them to lead their families well. Anoint them to husband their wives well and raise their children well. Anoint them to, to lead their friends and their neighbors well. Anoint us, God. I pray that we're like you, Jesus. That we walk in the authority that you've given us. With the weapons that you supply to us. And we see the victory that belongs to us. Help us today. Lead us today. Right now, God, I want you to just, as I'm praying, I want you to begin to address those things. I put to death the idols in my life. Anything that's taken your place, anything that requires passion and energy and emotion and strength, and it takes it away from you, God, I crucify that today. things that I've tolerated, God, I pray that you give me the courage to push it out. For whatever's grown cold, God, give me the flame to light it back up. to lead my family well. In Jesus' name. Amen. C'est bon? Amen. Not a woman, but a man. Don't make me get messy on you. I ain't gonna lie to you. That's funny as all get out, but it's sure as embarrassing as all get out. So we're getting ready to embark on a journey as a church. The next 21 days, listen to me carefully, are gonna be crucial crucial. Some of you have participated with us in the past years, and maybe you're like me. There's been some good 21 days of prayer and fasting, and there's been some uh, 21 days of prayer and fasting. I'm asking you today to commit wholeheartedly for the next 21 days to seek God's face. Not to get, not necessarily get a prayer answered, but to seek his face and to seek his presence challenge you to push some things away for 21 days and let's as a church have an encounter with God that's greater than anything we've ever known